welcome to Radical Being. I'm getting personal in today's show and sharing an element that has been powerfully transforming on my own journey. For half a dozen reasons, I'm not fond of the term psychedelic. It's loaded with too much baggage from the 50s and 60s and implies it's just a drug. But the plant medicines, as a group of these substances are commonly and collectively called, can offer an extraordinary tool for increased self-awareness and personal transformation. In today's show, I'm mostly talking about ayahuasca, and there's no shortage of other podcasts and people talking about this particular medicine. But along with my personal experience, I'm also sharing a couple of radical, potentially paradigm-shifting possibilities. What if? It's a slightly longer show today. There's a lot to say about this medicine. Let's dive in. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Radical Being with yours truly, River Fair. For those of you who are watching the video version of the show, you can see that yet again, those large black rectangles are still behind me, the audio panels or soundproofing panels, because I am still in the process of recording the audiobook for my book that's forthcoming in December. I'm at the finish line. So possibly, hopefully, <laughs> all, all things aligned, next episode, those rectangles will be gone. My sound studio will be just back to somewhat of a normal office. But that's, as with the previous two episodes, that's my little shout out for those of you who may be listening to this radical being show that this is a video podcast and you can find the video format on Spotify as well as the show's dedicated website radicalbeingpodcast.com. I also do keep recent episodes on my personal site riverfair.com but just three or four the the main archives are at radicalbeingpodcast.com. You can rate and follow the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. And as I like to say, ratings are like gold in the podcast universe. So please and thank you. And that helps potential new listeners discover this show, which is still finding its wings. So you can also turn on automatic notifications and downloads and whatnot, whatnot. Or on my site, you can sign up for email notifications when the new episodes come out, which is bi-weekly on Thursdays. So now that that is out of the way, I've decided to take a more personal approach with today's show. Not that other episodes aren't personal, but usually I'm casting sort of a wider net, a more transpersonal, and sharing less of my own personal journey. I have shared bits and pieces, and I'm going to share a little bit more of that today. There is value in our stories. I did an earlier podcast show on the stories we tell, and stories have always been a powerful way that we connect. And 
connect us to our shared humanity, most certainly. And yet, the flip side of that sometimes is we get stuck in our own stories. I'll refer you to that, the stories we tell show. But I am going to share a little bit more of my personal journey and really the work I have done with Madre Ayahuasca, powerful shamanic plant medicine from the Amazon. In 2015, thereabouts, and it started in 2014, actually, and this is just the nutshell version. I have, I've shared a bit of this in also the Regenerative Alchemy show, which is the longest of the shows, just FYI, be warned. I toppled into a mysterious healing crisis wherein everything shut down for me and put me really on a very different journey, a two-year journey of, I didn't realize it at the outset, but actively regenerating my body and brain which ultimately became really the seed for my eight-week coaching program. But it also was the outset of transforming my entire life. And really, when I actively engaged in life as personal evolution, all of which are things that I've, of course, touched on in previous shows in terms of transpersonal themes and the invitation for life, if you've tuned into those earlier shows. But end of 2014, my first book had just come out in the world, The Bones and Breath, A Man's Guide to Eros, the Sacred Masculine, and the Wild Soul. And I was expecting that doors were going to open, the book was going to be my calling card, I was going to move more actively into men's work and soul coaching, and instead, none of which happened, by the way, largely, partially, the book that really went nowhere, but I, I didn't have a platform and uh, all sorts of, now I see in a much wider view, like, of course it wasn't meant to go that way because you were meant to go this way, which was <laughs> by toppling into a mysterious healing crisis. My blood work showed nothing, but I became completely debilitated with chronic fatigue. There was also, as a sensitive, that's the word I use most of the time now, or intuitive. I have shared other places. I, I'm not fond of those clunky words like clairaudient, clairvoyant, clairsentient, although those, those do fit. I, I think those, it's all just circuitry that I think humans innately have. But some of us are born with that circuitry turned on, and others aren't. I do feel that circuitry that we can learn to turn on, but that's a whole other story of it in and of itself. But as a sensitive, intuitive, I've always been highly sensitive to electromagnetic things. Mobile phones and I don't usually get along. Microwave ovens, Wi-Fi and I are not a match. And this was early days, and I, at that time, certainly had not heard of anyone with electromagnetic hypersensitivity. And I won't go down that path other than that a lot more has come forward about that. And there even statistics, like maybe 10% of the population actually is electromagnetically hypersensitive. And in a world of, a rise, of rising electrosmog, it's a challenge. That wasn't the whole problem, but that was definitely 
rolled into this and everything stopped. As I've shared in my intro to my coaching program and masterclass and other places, I have, from my own direct experience, I realized that there's this split for most people between body and soul. And soul is not a word I use much anymore, but it, I think it's still useful terminology in a certain way. And there are many people who are more on the body side. They're arguably healthy, um, but not really any connection to something larger in terms of soul as that personal blueprint or perhaps a spiritual path. They're over here. And conversely, the other side of the coin, if we, if we want to say it that way, plenty of people who are on a spiritual or soulful path, but are pretty disconnected from physical and many, I know many, many people who are arguably, quote, spiritual and very unhealthy. So there's this disconnect. And early on in my coaching, I felt because of my own journey, oh, that's what I'm doing here, bringing these two together. Again, old terminology, I have long said, you don't have a body and a soul, you have a body soul at least in this incarnation. So that was where I found myself. Everything shut down, mysterious healing crisis, um, a lot of electromagnetic stuff going on and, and more. And several mysterious things, which is just always the way it works in my life, serendipity and synchronicity. And I would say, actually, that's the way it works in everyone's life, but we're not always paying attention. The trail of golden breadcrumbs, <laughs> the path of golden keys. Someday there'll be a podcast on, on that for sure. I keep racking them up, these future podcasts. I guess I have to stay with the show for a while. But several mysterious things happened. And the one leading me to today's episode was that, among other things, I was led to an ayahuasca ceremony in Northern California. A little backstory as a sensitive, clairaudient, clairvoyant, clairsentient, etc., etc., in my early 20s, I received, I'm just going to call it a transmission, or we can say an expanded awareness with a very clear message. Um, and the message was, the plant medicines are not for you at this time because there are no shortcuts. Interesting, perhaps. But I filed that away as, oh, okay, the plant medicines. And that term was just beginning to sort of percolate. I hadn't heard anything about ayahuasca or anything yet, but cannabis and other things. Okay, the plant medicines are a shortcut. Okay, that's not for me. And so for 20 years or so, I at least 15, carried this judgment. And during that time, I became aware of more things like ayahuasca and peyote. And I, I viewed them all certainly in LSD. Uh, that's not a plant, although once upon a time it was synthesized from a mushroom, but that's not a plant either. I'll, I'll touch on that with plant medicines overall. Big projection, shortcut, spiritual bypass. It's just a trip. You're, it's all in your head. It's drugs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the irony that I would be led to an ayahuasca ceremony. And maybe I also want to say, the invitation to that ceremony came from 
a dear friend at the time who was a, a psychotherapist. She's, I think she just recently retired from that. But a woman I know who does her personal work. No spiritual bypass for this gal. And when she was sharing about her first experience at an ayahuasca ceremony in Northern California. At the time I was, we were living in, she and I and we, the collective we, the imperial we, in Carmel by the sea. And after she shared a lot about her journey and I, something that, hmm, there's, there's something relevant in this. This is deeply personal to her journey and doesn't sound just like a trip and other things that I had laid judgments on. And after her second journey, I was at her house having dinner and she was again sharing insights and really, I thought, poignantly relevant things about this experience that she had just undergone. And she smiled at me and she's got these great curly wild ringlets and she sort of twirls a finger around one of her ringlets and she says, Mother Ayahuasca has a message for you. He said, Mother Ayahuasca has a message for me? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I don't know, but she said, well, I, I guess first I said, she has a message for me. And my friend said, well, yeah, I, I asked her about you in my journey because you've, you're so sick and I've been concerned. And I really, truly was a man in crisis at that time. I was very unwell and sort of stumbling blind, trying to find my way to some sort of well-being. And my dear friend in her journey asked the medicine about me. So she's twirling her ringlet and smiling at me. And she says, Mother Ayahuasca says, you tell River when he's ready to pluck out the last bit of his self-loathing, the great tide of blessings will flow in and I'm waiting for him. And I sat there in my chair, suddenly feeling naked. <laughs> right, my self-loathing, right? That's my core wound that you've just named here. Well, it's everyone's core wound, as I've shared in the Mother of Maladies show as a, quote, healer for 30 years. The underlying malady for everyone. But I was sitting there feeling very exposed from this trippy message from Mother Ayahuasca, about my self-loathing and essentially calling me to a session. It took several months. Um, I'll take a little step to the left here, or perhaps it's the right. If you're, if this is not on your radar yet, ayahuasca as a quote psychedelic is still illegal in the States and most of Europe, um, class one substance and whatnot, whatnot. But there are no shortage of ceremonies going on. They're just off the radar. And this ceremony that my friend had attended in California was one of those off the radar pieces. And she said, I, I can get you in, even though the, that particular circle sells out the minute it's announced. She said, I can get you in. So it took a couple months, but I joined her and we trekked north to Northern California to the Redwoods for an ayahuasca ceremony. And I proceeded to undergo that night the most powerful healing of my life. And at the time, I had been an alternative healer for 15, 18 years already by that point, maybe longer. 
so to say this was the most powerful experience of my life and the most powerful healing of my life is not a small statement. And boy, on a scale of one to 10, it was an 11. <laughs> I had what I now realize is the classic journey, the black jaguar, which is often how Mother Ayahuasca, the shape that she likes to embody, not literally dismembering me, but boy, it sure felt that way and intensely physical. I mean, it was being thrown around on my mat by a force much larger than myself. And this very long, off the charts, intense journey into myself of my patterns and holding and, and all that I had been carrying and Mother Ayahuasca figuratively or metaphorically felt literally ripping that from my body. And I was, although the medicine tapers off after a certain point and ceremony ends in the wee hours of the morning, they're traditionally undertaken at night, I was definitely in an altered state of awareness for more than 24 hours after that, still very able to hear her, Mother Ayahuasca, as those of us who have encountered or worked with her call her both, I think, affectionately and reverently. Um, and... Uh, just trying to put myself back together in some new way, shape, or form. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I Three months later, I returned for a second journey. But by the time I had returned for that second journey, and I've touched on this in previous shows, my entire life I have grappled with deep depression. And it has been its own strange gift. It forced me to be mindful about my food. It forced me just to try to take care of myself better. And some months went by. By the time I was going back for my that second journey, about three months later, I realized that my depression was entirely gone. And to this day, however many years later, almost 10 years later, my depression has never returned. I am one of those, and this is not that uncommon for people working with the plant medicines, at least those who have very big experiences. Um, there's so much to say about this topic overall, and I, I, I want to speak to the relevance of these medicines, particularly for anxiety and depression and also psilocybin and things, but and I won't get to it in today's show. So it looks like I'm already opening the door to part two of this episode. So I went back for a second journey and aware that my life was already very different and that something profound had been cleared or lifted. And I, I almost didn't trust it like that. This is too good to be true. I sort of kept waiting for the shoe to fall again or whatever metaphor we want to use for that. And in that second journey, which was much milder, but exquisite, again, the Jaguar, and just basically a night of conversation with me about intentions and whatnot. But at the end of that night, she said, this is your path. And you will begin apprenticing with Tomas. And she sort of laid out this plan for me. She said, you are a healer. And I had stepped away from that path. My book was coming out. I was trying to get away from my spooky gifts, if you will. And no, no, I'm going to be this author and and all of this was happening, putting me, as I said, on a very different journey. You are a healer. And she also laid out things that I needed to let go of and get rid to start becoming clear. So 
alcohol, meat, coffee, a bunch of other things, mostly dietary, all of which I was already doing anyways in my own journey to just rebuild myself. But the word, you must become clear. To do this work with others, and certainly to hold the medicine, you have to have done your work. You must become clear so that you can help others become clear. That was almost certainly the first time I ever heard that phrase, become clear. I have shared that I grew up with two therapists in California. I was doomed to any sort of a normal childhood. Most of my life has been working with therapists and spiritual journeys and the quest for self-awareness. And I had tremendous self-awareness of patterns and quote wounds. And as I have said, I could talk about them forward, backward, upside down, inside out. And yet that didn't necessarily shift any of them. Awareness is key, absolutely key. And yet awareness itself doesn't necessarily shift the pattern. And here was this, just call it force, presence saying you must become clear. Here's another little step to the, step to the left last time, so we'll step to the right. The master plants, or las plantas maestras, it would be called in South America, the teacher plants. We sort of just use that term collectively, the plant medicines. Although, as I said earlier, we tend to include the mushrooms in that, and mushrooms are not plants, they're mycelium. So they're their own kingdom, but for convenience, we're just going to collectively lump them here with plant medicines, and I'm sure the mushrooms won't, won't be too offended. They work in different modalities, if they will, or they have different styles. The Las Plantas Maestras, some of them work on that more physical level and aren't necessarily psychotropic. Others are strongly psychotropic. Um, things like psilocybin and peyote and um, huachama, that's San Pedro, Mother Ayahuasca, others, they, they definitely, I would say one of their modes of working is this expanded, expanded awareness in a height, much heightened sense of awareness. But some, like Ayahuasca, here's the difference. Ayahuasca works specifically with clearing, whereas psilocybin, I always say psilocybin is a medicine of insight. It brings us tremendous awareness, or it can bring tremendous awareness if you go into a session with an intent. That's what you'll get, but not clearing. Ayahuasca's primary mode, arguably, although it will definitely bring you awareness, is clearing. If, you've, if you're familiar with it or you've heard sort of the stories or all the press with ayahuasca is usually about how people throw up or have diarrhea or, or if you're really lucky, both <laughs> at the same time. I heard somebody once referred to throwing up and having diarrhea on ayahuasca ayahuasca as the double-headed dragon. <laughs> okay. But that action is really an important part of its healing. I mean, nobody that I know of likes to throw up. I've become an expert in my own journey with that. But and a friend once said, no, no, thank you. Throwing up, no, 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 no. He's British head in a bucket. No, thank you. I said, I agree. But what if it helped clear your deepest wounds? What if it helped get you unstuck from the patterns that you've been unable to shift in any other way? I'm willing. And boy, I have been willing. The clearing, la purga, throwing up, there's many ways you can purge, but that that is part of the clearing element of my 
of Mother Ayahuasca and her saying, you must become clear. So for the next hmm, five years intensively, that medicine became my path as an apprenticeship and I will say simply a shamanic initiation. I want to be mindful about that word. Shamanic is, shaman is one of those, in my view, terribly misappropriated words. 90% of people calling themselves shamans are not. And in my soapbox here is that, well, well, I could go down a whole path with that. But there is a very important, many important differences between shaman and shamanic practitioner. But for convenience, we will just say a shamanic initiation. And in that, that journey, which was really a fast track to my own personal evolution, what does it mean to become clear? That really became my devotional path. What does it mean to become clear in your body, in your mind, in your energetic field of your patterns? Become clear. And until only really the last year and adopting that word or adapting it to integrity instead. But really, yeah, since 2018 and the advent of my coaching program, that was how do we become clear? How do we become clear? This um, really, yeah, devotion of this is my path, whatever it takes, <laughs> to hell and beyond. <laughs> and at times it has absolutely felt that way, crawling. And yet these plant medicines, two things about consciousness and them as tools, have been an integral part of my personal evolution. That is how I, I view them now, They're just collectively, the plant medicines. That they are very useful tools for, because of that greater awareness they bring, whether or not there's the clearing. You can learn to clear in any of those medicines, even if that's not its primary mode. But that awareness, accelerated awareness, is invaluable for our own transformation, and healing. So very useful tools. There's a caveat, though, I would say, I think that I know that they can also be a trap, not so much on a physical level, but definitely a trap for the ego. I think a lot of things about being in medicine, they can be very, I heard somebody say once, the medicine, who a person who no longer works with medicine, he says, the medicine has a way of making you feel special, but you're not. And I don't totally align with that, but I do agree that the medicine has a way of making you feel special and inflated visions and definitely, and the trap that I was alluding to is that we can feel that simply by working with these medicines, or, and I just use that as a respective term, respectful term, that we're somehow doing our work simply by being in ceremony or taking some mushrooms with an intention that we're doing our work. Arguably, we are gaining an increased awareness. That's not the same as doing our work. I know people who have... <laughs> I mentioned this actually in a guest podcast that I was on a marriage, marriage therapy radio earlier in the year, and some, we were talking about plant medicines, and I said, I, I know a woman who says, and I absolutely believe this, that she's done 100 ayahuasca journeys. 
she's an artist. She has a fairly significant following. Um, and she's one of the most self-obsessed, self-absorbed people I've ever met. And here's my judgment for the day. I think, how can you have done a hundred ayahuasca journeys and still be this self-obsessed and self-absorbed and neurotic? Because simply being in medicine doesn't mean you're doing the work. And there's also a very important piece here about integration. And maybe I'll circle back to that as I, where am I with time? Okay, well, I'm okay. You know, I have half-joked in many things, master classes, symposiums, and these podcasts. At an hour, I'm just getting warmed up. So a half-hour show is like sitting on my hands. So useful as tools for our personal evolution with the potential that they become a trap and we're sort of fooling ourselves that we're doing more work than we actually are. I, I am definitely an integration coach for people who have done this work and that's not my primary work at all, but people find me for that. And what that's definitely want to stitch to integration here at the end, but say, this work is not a magic wand. It can, it can be, for a small handful of people, life-changing. It was for me. And the continued work of doing it every so often and integration. My very first teacher used to say, the lasting changes come from integration. And another way of looking at that is we have to do our own work. So the awareness that can happen in these medicines and giving us an insight Here's another reason I think they're useful tools as someone who grew up with therapists and a life in therapy and has been an alternative healer for much of his life. One of the things that impresses me about these medicines is they give access to material that isn't accessible any other way, not even with the best therapist in the world and 20 years on the therapist's couch. Being in this expansive state with an intention yields the material that may be totally new can also unlock trauma for healing. And that's a whole other discussion that I think potentially the real frontier, there's a lot of talk about this work and studies with this work with depression and anxiety, not so much that I'm aware of yet around trauma, but as a trauma therapist and having worked extensively in these realms, I will say that is the cutting edge. This type of expanded awareness from these medicines and doing somatic-based trauma work. The, what, yeah, what I have, what I have seen and coach people through is, is remarkable. This, so accessing material that just, we wouldn't be able to get to any other way. And this useful awareness, and yet still, you have to do the work. You have this new awareness. Okay, this is, this is what's underneath that way I, always respond to my partner or when I get triggered or whatnot. And yet the work falls to us, the self-awareness of here's the situation that triggers that response. I've just felt criticized and now I'm going to whatever, pull into my shell or lash back or whatever. And instead, I'm going to take a breath and here's the opportunity to jump to a different circuit and do a different behavior. We don't, certainly don't need medicine for that type of learning, but it can facilitate the awareness that facilitates that new pattern. I want to say something also, though, about back to the judgments on drugs and spiritual bypass and 
shortcuts and whatnot. There are uh, at least two different views here around consciousness. And this is, this, well, this is how I view the medicines now and what, what happens in these medicines versus it's a drug or whatnot. In the Western medical scientific view, the brain creates consciousness. Your brain creates consciousness, your identity, your ego, and arguably the more developed the brain, potentially the more consciousness and or awareness a being has. Those words get used interchangeably. To me, they're different, consciousness and awareness. And boy, we could have a whole discussion on nobody can even agree what consciousness is. That's another, right, up for discussion there. Lots of different definitions on that. But in that Western view, your brain generates consciousness. And therefore, these medicines, whatever is happening here, this amazing experience perhaps that you're undergoing is simply in your head. Hence the term psychedelic. It's in your head. A different view, and I would say maybe a mystic view, a shamanic view, definitely, actually, I think it's a quantum view. Your brain doesn't create consciousness. Consciousness is. Consciousness is the cosmos, the universe. Potentially, your brain just helps you download that consciousness. But consciousness is in a multidimensional reality. And so what's happening in, from that view, what's happening in these medicines is that for X number of hours, the duration of that particular medicine, you are experiencing the larger reality as arguably it is. Very different views. It's just in your head. This is a drug. Even here with all of the studies the, in the West, we can't say exactly why it happens. We know that when you take one of these substances, and whether the active component in that is mescaline or dimethyltryptamine, DMT, DMT or the psilocybin, that the compound in that docks with a very specific receptor in your brain very specific serotonin receptor. There's a docking. And then science doesn't have any answers. This crazy, magical, trippy experience happens. We know everything up to here. Okay, it's got to have this, 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 and then. But from the model of consciousness we're using, it's simply in your head. It's a hallucination, essentially. If we consider it from the other way, and I will say, I hold both views are true. And I'm much more aligned with this. This has become my experience. We take this substance and the docking happens. I'm willing to stay with the West to that point. And then this is strictly my view and no need to espouse it, as I often say. But what I conjecture happened, I, my conjecture is that somehow when that docking happens, our three-dimensional filters, say something about filters in one second, basically fall away for X number of hours, and we experience the larger multidimensional reality as it is. We all have filters in, and I have shared this in other things in my coaching and in, in my view, differently, video symposiums and whatnot. In my view, we are living in a default reality. The default 3D reality is our reality. But as I often say, it's not the only one. 
And potentially, you are experiencing this much larger reality. The filters are very useful. <laughs> we, we have filters all the time. Our brain itself is a filter. 90, something like 98% of the input that's coming in through our senses in every second is filtered out. We would literally be overwhelmed by the 17 trillion bytes of information or whatever the staggering number is that we're getting in every second, millisecond through our senses. The brain in a very complex hierarchical top-down filters almost all of that out because it's not relevant. I don't need to look at that wall. I don't need to look at the tree, the vase behind me, even that person over there. Unless it's something that's a novelty or potentially a threat, because we're wired to survive, it's just filtered out. If you've been in one of these expanded medicine states, higher awareness states, I don't want to say higher, but expanded awareness states, <laughs> it's pretty hard to function. Those 3D filters are very useful. So unless you're living in a cave in the Himalayas or in the Amazon jungle, pretty difficult to function in a multidimensional reality. So our 3D dimensional reality is very useful, <laughs> essential really. But potentially we can have brief, depending on the medicine, but brief experiences of something larger than that, that if we're pursuing it in search of our, in search of our personal evolution can be tremendously valuable. I actually just think of the medicines now because I'm in this camp over here as the quantum medicines. They open us to the quantum, quote, reality. I maybe want to say one last thing about sort of the caveats of this medicine or any of these medicines that touching on, they can make you feel very special, can feel that we're doing our work, but we're just having an experience. I, because numerous people have asked me this, like in my integration coaching, you know, they've had a powerful vision or insight. And my general advice is from my own journey, I have learned to not believe what happens in the session. You can think it, you can experience it, because when you're in that experience, it's realer than real. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever, this thing is going to happen in your life, or you can, <laughs> as one client said, I could regrow my hair. Right, you could regrow your hair. You can, whatever this, this potentially um, impossible or maybe grandiose or whatever thing that's going to happen for you in the future. I would suggest you not believe it. It's just another belief matrix, like I'm talking about. You can think anything you want. That doesn't mean you should believe it. <laughs> not to use that should word that I typically sidestep. The medicine is its own matrix. It can be tremendously useful, tremendously insightful. You don't necessarily want to believe it. These, I, I have heard many people in interviews and say, you know, I, you know, they said this stuff was going to happen and then it didn't. So, you know, I don't, I don't really believe the medicine anymore. And I think, well, there's wisdom to that. Take the parts that feel useful. I, I understand where this pattern comes from now in myself. And this helps me potentially to shift it versus, wow, all these great things are going to happen for me now. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> we get to just do our work. This is the ongoing journey. 
even with medicine, it's a long road to freedom. A long road. I, I journaled my first hundred ayahuasca journeys. And it, tremendously useful to look back on them. After that, when I hit a hundred, I was like, I don't need to keep journaling these. Interesting to look back on them. Again, many things that were revealed have not come to pass. Most things have not. And yet, beautiful awareness pieces that have absolutely shaped and guided my journey. A mixed bag in some ways. Maybe the last thing I want to say just as as an advocate overall for two things I want to say. I think the efficacy of this as a a tool or a healing almost entirely depends on the skill and setting of the facilitator and the follow-up integration. And now I just dropped the other thing I was going to say there about it, but maybe I'll just follow that thread to integration. These, as I said, my first teacher said, the lasting changes come from integration. That is the work, the ongoing work. How do I integrate this, this new piece in a way that helps me create lasting change? Particularly, the more we are taken apart in one of these big journeys, the more important the integration. And hmm, I was going to make a, we'll let that go. There is so much more to say, particularly around brain studies and what we know happens in the brain with these medicines and even small, small amounts or microdosing. So yes, I feel like the door is open to a future episode, maybe not specifically about ayahuasca, but the quote, plant medicines, in general, as a really valid and worthwhile healing avenue, but always with the perspective, it's not a magic wand. Hmm. Yeah, looking at the clock, enough. And I was just getting warmed up. (laughs) Thank you for joining me for another episode of Radical Being, a little more of the personal side, this personal reveal, which has its time and place, I think. Today was one of those. I thank you for tuning in. I, that's where I was going. You know, in these shows, I always like to offer what I call a potential paradigm shift. And there are potentially a couple in today's show. One might be, how do I want to frame that? One might be that what if something that you've carried a big judgment on or a projection on might actually be useful or healing for you. That was certainly my case. What if that big thing that you've got this big judgment on, what if it isn't that at all? I have had multiple conversations with people, sort of the way life seems to invite us to own back those projections, if if we're awake and aware anyways. Oh, you've you've got a big judgment on Black people, oh, okay, here's your chance to own that back. Oh, you've got a big judgment on trans people. Oh, here's your chance to own that back. Oh, you've got a judgment on Reiki and energy work and crystal. Here's your chance to own that back. Okay, so what if that thing, people, population, medicine that you've got this big judgment on, isn't that at all? And I would say 
That's the case for most of us. Our projections almost always get in the way. They're just part of our belief matrix. What if? And maybe the other potential paradigm shift, if you have not been open to this in any ways, what if this, these, quote, medicines, substances, could be useful tools for your evolutionary journey? What if? Enough. Thanks for joining me. Here's wishing you a lovely afternoon, evening, whenever it is you're tuning in. And as I like to wind down the show with be well and be radical.